1988, an Aloha Airlines Flight 243 miraculously made an emergency landing after a huge part of the roof of the plane exploded off. How did all the passengers survive? And how did the roof just come off? Find out all the answers on this episode of Technically a Conversation. Super friends, welcome to another episode of Technically a Conversation. Here, we like to share an interesting topic with each other, which we've recently learned and hope you find it interesting too. I'm one half of your hosts, one third of your hosts, Mirala, <laughs> Isela. And joining me as always is Jose. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing all right. Getting my hydration on. <laughs> Awesome. Yes. Is that what you were doing during your time off is getting your hydration on? I was dehydrating in Phoenix, but actually it was not as uh, hot, thankfully. Like this is the time to go. If you don't want to like melt your face off, this is when you want to go. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, nobody wants that. <laughs> nope. Well, glad to have you back, Isela. Thank you. It's always great to look across and see you on the other side of the internet. Yes, you have. You guys have all been missed. I'm excited about Elena too. <laughs> yeah, we recorded a couple of great episodes. Um, well, by the time that this airs, you would have surely heard them. For sure. <laughs> yes, for <laughs> sure. Normally, this is a time we shout out. Just want to take the time and say thank you to everybody who has shared our posts. Thank you so, so much, everyone. I guess I could still the air horn, right? Yeah, I love it. I still like the air horn. <laughs> when you vacation, Jose, is there a type of climate that you tend to prefer? Like tropical or you want to go like colder weather since we have too much fucking heat here? Um, I'm usually like a 70s type of guy. So I like going to California or to Guadalajara or places where the uh, temperature is uh, very mild, I guess. Yeah, at least cooler for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But not too cold, though, because I always get cold really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. I'm that annoying friend that always gets cold. You know me. I walk around with like a sweater on when it's 80 degrees. If there's a wind, I'm like, whoo, I'm pulling it up over my ears. <laughs> but that cardigan is part of your brand, girl. It kind of is now. Yeah. It's very <laughs> Taylor Swift cardigan. That's me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Another question for you. I would want... A little more clarification on something you have mentioned before. You said you don't like flying. Is that like a straight up crippling phobia, like aerophobia? Mm, no, not not necessarily. I think it's just I watched La Bamba and the Twilight Zone movie when I was real young. <laughs> so I think I just kind of got real paranoid about flying. But I have flown since watching those. Okay. But did you look outside the window or did you <laughs> purposefully take an aisle seat so you don't look outside the window, like see that crazy man on the wing? <laughs> no, I, I don't think I even, I think I was too focused on not being afraid that I didn't even bother looking out the window. Oh. I think the last time I flew out, I might've been maybe like 12 or 13. So um, I want to say that I probably wasn't sitting next to the window anyway. I don't know. I was probably sitting with my parents and they were hitting me whenever I would act up, so. No. <laughs> oh my God, how sad. 
That's funny. I do have a friend who has a legit phobia of flying. He was sent to New Jersey for training. The lead up to that day that he was going to be flying out was that was just torturous even for him. It was really sad. He even had to get from his doctor um, a pill so that he could basically like kind of knock out. Nice. I think I would want that too. No, I don't, I don't think it's that bad for you. <laughs> yeah, he was like petrified. Just be put in suspended animation and then like <laughs> reawakened when I arrive at whatever destination. That's why I do like sleeping on the plane. It's like you time travel. Well, actually, you do time travel, technically. <laughs> yeah, whenever I take my sleeping pills, I time travel eight hours into the future. <laughs> eight hours. That's funny. <laughs> well, according to the ClevelandClinic.org, 25 million American adults suffer from aerophobia. This fear, again, I completely understand. My real fear isn't the fear of flying, but it's just the fear of the takeoff part. Like, I don't know what that part is. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's a pill for me on that one. <laughs> so today's topic of conversation, a little history lesson in aviation history, which is why I was asking you those questions. This happened 35 years ago, April 28th, and it's about a flight that, well, did not go as planned. <laughs> and a giant hole was torn atop the plane while at 24,000 feet up. Oh, shit. Do I have your attention, right? <laughs> Yeah, that would definitely scare me for sure. Fuck, dude, that I I would be praying to all the gods, like all of them. <laughs> I don't think my body would be able to produce tears fast enough for me to be able to emote the way that I would be feeling. Right. Well, dude, think about it. You're that far up and all this wind's hitting you, even if you tried to, they would be all dry. Like your eyes would dry up. <laughs> I'd be all frozen or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> your eyeballs would be, yeah, exactly. Yet with all the extensive training the air crew received, many passengers managed to tell their tales of the flight of terror. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Flight of terror, by the way, uh, could have also just been a different title, like a life-affirming flight, but it didn't really have like that ear-catching zing clickbait quality that I was really going for. <laughs> no, flight of terror definitely gets your attention right away. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> this astonishing story truly did change aviation history for the better, which is always good. So that is good to keep in mind as we listen to this horrible, uh, this horrible flight. But at least some good stuff came out of it, right? Making flying much safer after this accident. So I'm just going to present the silver lining first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> also. Most of this comes from a documentary that you can watch on YouTube, the link in the show notes. As always, definitely check it out because it was pretty crazy. And people's firsthand accounts, like the witness uh, stories, are pretty, they're pretty crazy. All right, Jose, I know you love a good story. So stow your food tray and buckle up because I'm going to take you on a wild ride, sir. <laughs> and return your seat to the upright position. That's right. That's right. <laughs> See? You know how this goes. <laughs> yeah, I've watched enough movies. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful Hawaii, April 28th, 1988. Aloha Airlines Flight 243 was going through their regular routine, checks and balances, etc., getting ready to take off from Hilo Airport on the Big Island, which is the southernmost of the islands, headed towards Honolulu, which is an extremely short flight. 
This is really common because people need to go back and forth between the islands. So these are really frequent, very, very short flights. For that particular plane, it was the ninth run back and forth of the day. The ninth one since the early morning. Like, that's a lot. And it was only one o'clock. Damn. Yeah. The crew had a ton of experience. Let's go through it. The captain, Bob Schoensteiner, had been flying for 11 years. First officer, which I guess is kind of like the co-pilot is what I'm assuming. Mimi Tompkins, she had been flying for nine years with Aloha Airlines. Up to this point, she had been hoping for a promotion to captain. So basically, you almost had two captains going on, which is cool. Flight attendant Claire Bell Lansing had been flying for a whopping 37 years. Dude, first of all, much respect to her because that does not seem like an easy job. No, not at all. You have to make them think that you're there to serve, but you're also kind of like trying to be in charge at the same time if some shit goes down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know if, well, no, actually there were a lot of hijackings back then. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if it would be as bad as it is now with people acting up and going crazy. That's true. That's a good point. Um, I, I, It almost does seem a little worse today, especially right after people were really fighting and arguing the whole merits of a mask and wearing it and like, or even the guy who got punched out by Mike Tyson on the plane. I mean, <laughs> that guy deserved it though. <laughs> you know what? In all fairness, if I'm going to get knocked out, I would want to get knocked out by Mike Tyson. What a story, right? Hell yeah. Yeah, you might get some pootie tang by just saying you got knocked out by Mike Tyson. <laughs> Hell, I'll take what I can get, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll try it tonight. I'll try this lie tonight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The other flight attendants were Michelle Honda, who had 14 years experience, and Jane Sato Tamita, who had 19 years. That's the crew in a brief nutshell. Moving on to quote old rapper Mystical. Show me what you're working with. <laughs> Let's talk about the plane. <laughs> it was a Boeing 737, which was 19 years old. It had made more than 89,000 flights. The other scary fun fact is only one other 737 had flown more than this specific plane. Your spidey senses should be going off by now. <laughs> Actually, I think I would be kind of the other way around. Really? I don't know if I would want to be on an airplane on their maiden voyage, on their very first voyage, because oh. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of an unproven factor. I don't think I want to be like on the Titanic, right? Like the first one, but I want it to prove its worth, but I don't want to be flying on a dinosaur either. I mean, come on. It wasn't even old enough to drink yet. It seems like a lot. 19 years? I don't know. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that much about aircraft, so. <laughs> As the 89 passengers are in line, they were waiting to board. One lady, Gail Yamamoto, I love all these last names, by the way, sees something on the outside of the plane that made her slightly concerned. We'll get back to that in a moment. <laughs> Was it the creature from the Twilight Zone movie? Yes. Oh, my God. She watched that episode, too. <laughs> <laughs> Another passenger... Patricia Aubrey had an appointment in Honolulu, but she lived on the Big Island. She originally sat in the very first row, but she had like a weird, uneasy feeling, and she ended up moving back to an open seat that was in row 17. The plane was ready for takeoff at 1.25 p.m. The captain decided 
to take over the primary communication. And the first officer, Mimi, was going to be the one who would actually fly the plane to Honolulu. Remember, this is a 35-minute flight. That's how short this flight is. (laughs) Just to climb to cruising altitude of 24,000 feet, it takes 20 minutes. (laughs) Even when I fly to see my sister in Phoenix, that is an hour and a half. And I feel like by the time they serve you your drinks, you have like 10 minutes to slam or chug your beverage. They're like, hurry, hurry, but they're like taking it from you and you're still like (laughs) nursing your beverage. So for a 35-minute flight, the flight attendants had to walk around and do that first, like while they were climbing. And in reality, now that you think about now that I think about it, for a 35-minute flight, I feel like the flight attendants should have really been walking around with like water guns full of the different beverages and just shoot it in your mouth, whatever you want. <laughs> that would have been fun. <laughs> I imagine if it's a 35-minute flight, they probably wouldn't even serve any any beverages at all. I think we were spoiled back then. They probably gave food for a 40-minute flight. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) They don't give food for much here. The two attendants, Claire Bell, her name was, uh, she was also known as CB for short. The two attendants, CB and Jane, like I said, were going to serve the drinks while they were climbing to cruising altitude. During the climb is where everyone else has to stay buckled into their seats. So only the flight attendants were up and about. By 1.45 p.m., they were at cruising altitude of 24,000 feet. The captain and first officer relaxed a little bit, chit-chatted, when all of a sudden you hear a huge explosion. They heard it behind them. The cabin lost pressure in an instant. There was so much wind inside. The captain and the, uh, the first officer, they couldn't even hear each other, and they were only like a foot apart or whatever. In the video, the first passenger... To explain what he saw, his name was Howard Kitaoka. He said he saw a big flash of light, then he heard a huge boom. During the decompression, everything is being sucked out of the plane. One lady said everyone's hair was sticking straight up, purses, carry-on luggage, just gone in an instant. Children, toys, everything getting sucked out of the plane. (laughs) Toys, I would imagine, yeah. (laughs) Not children. (laughs) Okay, good. All because... 35 square meters, or 376 feet for us, (laughs) had been ripped out of the fuselage, which is just fancy Nancy speak for the outer body of the plane. And it started just behind the cockpit. So 376 feet? A la madre! Like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) I normally envy people who had, like, window passenger, or like the window seat. Not in this case, I don't think. (laughs) And 376 feet, that's like half of my Polly Pocket house. (laughs) Immediate thoughts. I think if I was sitting by the window, I wouldn't be able to look out of it because it would be covered in vomit and I would be passed out in the seat. (laughs) The frozen vomit. (laughs) Yeah, the frozen vomit. Uh, At least I wouldn't have to worry about crying because um, I would be passed out. I think everybody would be crying. Like, I don't even know. I I feel like. It just would be a nightmare, a complete and total nightmare. That part, and it's freezing. Oh, no. Yeah, it's crazy. This is a good time to go to a commercial break. But when we return, we're going to nosedive straight into this flight of terror. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lynn. 
Amanda. And I'm Jane. And we have a brand new podcast called Bedknobs and Broom Flicks, where we talk about witches of the entertainment world. From the horror movies Warlock, Suspiria, The Witch, and The Blair Witch Project. To the more comedic or whimsical, such as Harry Potter, Hocus Pocus, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and The Blair Witch Project. No movie, TV show, or book is off limits. All witches, man witches, sorry warlocks, we're not calling you that. Witches brews, witches of history, familiars, and witch-like activity will be discussed as we laugh and have fun talking about the wonderful world of witches. So join us every other week for some fun witchy talk. All witches welcome. If you like weird, spooky, and strange history, then I have the podcast for you. My name is Brenda. And I'm the host of Horrifying History. Are you into the dark side of history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, the paranormal, and unsolved mysteries, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Get your Horrifying History fix by subscribing today on Spotify, Spreaker, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we're back. How was your break? Good. Just watching you dance. I know. <laughs> I was trying to clink, clink, clink. Yeah. <laughs> Still disappointed that you didn't do the worm, but that's okay. I might bring that back one day. <laughs> Whenever I'm ready to hit my chin again. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so when we left, we had just found out a huge hole had ripped from the top of the plane. We're going to dive back in with the first person who was describing what he had seen, Howard Kitaoka. He said he recalled the wind being so powerful. And Patricia Aubrey, the one who had moved from row one, how lucky is she, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) She said she could only see the bloodied hair of one of the attendants somewhere below her field of view. And it was Michelle Honda who was lying on the floor near row 15 and she was just yelling in fear along with the passengers bloodied hair yeah how did she get the bloodied hair from the explosion or yeah something uh must have some kind of debris must have hit her head when shit was like being sucked out or something or who knows maybe it was a piece of the plane or something i'm surprised she didn't get sucked out if she wasn't strapped into the with the seatbelt. i agree yeah i remember Jane, yeah, Jane and uh, CB were the ones that were walking around and stuff. Yeah, we've got children, toys, luggage being sucked out of there. But somehow the flight attendants weren't. Shoes, all the flip-flops, yeah. All the shoes (laughs) and all the glasses got sucked out. (laughs) Jane was hit over the head with some large chunks of the plane, and she was lying down in row two somewhere. The documentary stated that she was barely conscious. I got to say this. Hear me out. I think she might have been the luckiest flight attendant. I know she's the only one who got bonked over the head. I know. But still, I think she might be the luckiest one because she doesn't remember experiencing all the yelling and all the screaming of the sheer terror. I probably would have been crying and screaming the loudest. So wouldn't you rather be knocked out? Yeah, definitely. I think so, too. Yeah, that's that's what I thought anyway. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to hear myself screaming and yelling. I mean, I could do like the death metal scream, so... You know, that can get very loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going to like vibrato it. <laughs> That's so funny. So back in the cockpit anyway, they really didn't know what was going on because they just heard an explosion behind them. 
and they were again trying to communicate with each other unsuccessfully. But once they glanced back, they saw clear blue skies and they understood the problem. Howard's neighbor on the plane said that he was about to be taken, like, sucked out of the plane since there's no roof. And he said he grabbed him. You're so sick. You're all laughing. He, um, I shouldn't be laughing, but I don't know. That just sounds kind of funny, you know, because you, you picture all those horrible movies you've seen where people get sucked out of the plane. and Yeah. Just, yeah. He said he grabbed him and he was able to, like, get him back in the seat, which, dude, so far, I love Howard, by the way. <laughs> this life-saving Howard. At this altitude, there's little to no oxygen. The temperatures are freezing. They said we're talking negative 50 degrees. What? <laughs> this whole thing is a cluster for the passengers. You can die slowly, freezing to death from oxygen deprivation. And uh, an expert had explained how all of the passengers could have been, they could have been feeling like this incapacitation from the lack of oxygen. It's called hypoxia. And then the 300 mile per hour freezing wind in their face, that's worse than winds in like a category five hurricane, like, like Katrina. And it's coming smack at your face. Nah, fam, I'm good. Be like, okay, Mr. Tyson, feel free to knock me out now. Right, <laughs> Punch me in the face, please. I, <laughs> I beg you. <laughs> And let's keep in mind that most of these people were in tropical weather wear, Hawaiian shirts and, you know, <laughs> dresses or whatever, <laughs> grass skirts. I'm just kidding. I'm sure they don't wear grass skirts. <laughs> but clearly they were wearing something light, not a parka for this negative 50 degree temperatures. The captain took over the flight controls. They began their emergency descent really quickly at 1200 meters per minute or 75 miles per minute. When you're envisioning this, I hope you're envisioning something like a Boeing 5.0 drop top, you know, like something like that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Don't envision that because actually the bottom of the vehicle would normally still be intact, right? Of a convertible. But no, in this particular case, the whole outer shell is missing and the bottom was barely being held on by a few floor beams. In fact, it had fallen apart already so much that the nose was already kind of pointing down. Oh, man. That's how much it had been like, yeah, cracked. <laughs> That's awful. Like, it is basically as close to the true version of that cliche, hanging on by a thread. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I don't know what a Boeing 5.0 is. I imagine it's like a Mustang 5.0, but... Yeah, that was my joke of um, like a convertible. Oh, okay. yeah, a little drop top convertible. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm not very smart, so I didn't, I didn't make the connection. No, that's okay. I didn't think you were going to get the uh, bad and bougie drop top um, lyric line either. So I was like, well, maybe he'll remember this. <laughs> <laughs> so Patricia Aubrey, uh, the one who had decided to move at the last minute, she says she recalls seeing the plane bending and hearing it buckle. Dude, sweet dreams are not made of this. At least you'll get that lyric. <laughs> yeah, that one I do get. Okay, good. <laughs> the attendant, uh, Michelle Honda, she had crawled all the way to the back and she tried to contact the cockpit because she didn't know if there was a pilot. She had no idea what was going on. And then, you know, nobody could hear anything because of all the crazy wind. So when she couldn't get through to the pilot or at least the first officer, she went person by person yelling at them, asking something that you definitely don't want to hear. Or want to be asked. She asked everyone, can you fly a plane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? 
(laughs) The other attendant was still really not moving, but the nice passenger, Howard, he said he was holding on to her and he squeezed her hand and she did squeeze back. That gave him hope. So he stayed holding her hand. Okay. Howard deserves like a little medal because he's so kind. Saving all these people, taking care of people. Yeah. Again, I would have been useless. I would have been knocked out by Mike Tyson. (laughs) You would have just been crying, right? The ugly cry, yeah. (laughs) The nearest place they had to land was Maui. But the airport is in between these two mountains beside each other, north and south. This means the pilot would have to swing around from the left, take a right turn to go in between these mountains. And for it to be turning... That was a real dangerous move because the plane's already falling apart. First Officer Mimi couldn't get through to air traffic control, so she kept switching frequencies and finally got through. They asked for a fire department. They were all ready to go on runway two by the time they were going to get there. Once the pilot started to make that turn, though, passengers got a small glimmer of hope. They were like, okay, wait, wait, we do have a pilot. So they knew someone was in control. They were able to descend to a safe enough altitude for abundant oxygen. But again, they're not out of the clear because (laughs) it's falling apart, right? Patricia, the lady who had moved, said she really felt like the plane was going to rip in half. She added that wires were hanging from like the skeleton part and it was like zapping things as it would touch things. (laughs) It's so scary. Now we know why it's called a flight of terror. As they were trying to land, the nose gear indicator wasn't lighting up. If the wheels underneath the nose don't come down, that means they were going to slam into the ground hard, if not like explode on impact. One aviation expert said, normally when this happens, the textbook says, okay, what you do is you tell air traffic control, like, hey, I can't tell if my landing gear is down. And they fly around through the air traffic control and then air traffic control looks up and then they say, oh, yes, it's down or no, you're right. It's not down. Something like that. But they didn't have that because the thing's falling apart. There's no way it could be turning around and doing all these fancy moves, right? (laughs) So the captain was like, fuck it. I'm just going to land. And landing was a cluster too because, again, the worst aerodynamics. (laughs) And as they were slowing down, the plane was getting harder to control. So the pilot was like... He throws a Hail Mary and decided to land the plane with a higher speed. They were coming in hot, like literally coming in hot. (laughs) Passengers still didn't think they were going to make it. One couple who was separated by the aisle were reaching across to touch each other by the fingers. Oh, my God. This made me sad. I know. It had been 12 horrifying minutes since the explosion. And Patricia detailed that she initially thought the plane was going to go into the water. She was like, oh, my God, we're going to die in the water. Then when she saw the mountains, she thought, oh, no, 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 actually, we're going to die crashing into the mountains. That's how we're going to die. <laughs> and then she saw the runway and they were going so fast. She was like, no, no, okay, we're definitely going to burn to death because we're definitely going to explode when we hit the <laughs> runway. <laughs> Poor thing. Thankfully, the landing took place with no explosions or anything like that. And all the passengers lived. The worst injury to the passengers was a skull fracture. Oh, that's it? Yes. However, (laughs) there was one person that was unaccounted for. It was our Aloha Airlines veteran, Claire Bell. She was sucked out of the airplane during that explosive decompression, and her body was never recovered. The difference between life and death for the lives aboard simply came down to who was wearing their seatbelt. 
Usually what determines somebody living or dying is who's wearing their seatbelt. In most vehicles, right? <laughs> yeah, in most vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. One firefighter said it's always extremely windy at that airport because the wind tunnels between the two mountains, very much like our Trans Mountain, you know how it's a little bit windy? It's like extra windy on those days mm -hmm. because of the wind that just tunnels through. And kind man Howard also mentioned how bumpy and turbulent that particular landing usually is. But he said, oddly, moments before they were landing, the wind completely died down. And he said that was like the most helpful thing in keeping the plane from breaking apart as they were landing. So that was a truly miraculous landing. In fact, I think that's the title of the um, the link of the documentary. It's it's pretty amazing that that thing landed. Yeah, that's super crazy. It is. It is. It is. And just so you know, when the plane goes up and down, right, when it kind of reaches the, the cruising altitude and all that stuff, it expands and contracts with every time it like goes all the way up and then it comes all the way down and goes all the way down. So it starts to uh, weaken the rivets in all of like the screws and stuff like that. And there was already a small, small, minuscule tear that was going on. And that's what the lady saw, one of the passengers had seen on the outside. And from there, that's where the two things just completely tore apart. And that's why that happened. So uh, Federal Aviation Administration did say that um, they had to enforce better maintenance standards with the airlines. And that's how it changed. So it made history. Glad to hear that they're a little bit more stringent than those inspections now. For sure. So many talking points for this flight of terror. Do tell, do share your point, your, your points, all your thoughts. Do tell me. Well, first of all, I was very disappointed that it wasn't a creature that ripped the top of the airplane off while they were mid-flight. <laughs> yeah. That was a little bit disappointing. I was also a little bit disappointed to hear that the plane, when it landed, it wasn't like a you know, like all the cheese pass that you you see like in movies when <laughs> when like metal hits concrete or whatever and you see all the sparks. Yes. <laughs> but aside from that, I'm glad that, every, well, just about everybody made it out okay. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I thought it was really miraculous. It was a really cool story. I like the stories where like, whoa, some crazy shit goes down and at least, you know, 90% of people live. Like, how great is that? But also, come on was their ninth run at 130 like that seems that seems like they're definitely overworked it's like an overworked horse basically you know what i mean yeah definitely short flights quickies if you will those little quickies should be left for the young ones that's just <laughs> that's just what i'm gonna say <laughs> no it was very interesting i had never heard about this story before so thank you very much for sharing it yes yes you are welcome i'm glad you enjoyed it so these are your final thoughts before we wrap her up i already wrapped it up well, one my my last thought was thank you Hawaii for naming the Big Island the Big Island like that's so damn literal I love it. <laughs> Where are you from? The big oh the Big Island oh, yeah yeah the big one. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations, lovelies! You've done it again, folks. You've learned along with us a story of all passengers surviving an emergency landing of a convertible plane. <laughs> Don't share that one with uh, anyone during a flight, though. We hope you've been entertained by our chat and invite you to join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and tell a friend and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Follow us on all the socials. <laughs> greetings TAC. Email us at greetings TAC at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail 
at 915-317-6669 if you have a flight of terror of your own to share with us. Or if you're in the middle of a flight of terror and you want to call us, instead of calling your family and loved ones, <laughs> if you want to call us and give us a play-by-play of what's going on. What's happening? That's so sad. <laughs> and she couldn't get through to the cockpit. Sorry. No, I could hear your dog, yeah. No, no, that's the wind outside. Oh, I thought it was your dog walking around. No, she's asleep. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was really loud. I was like, oh my God, is my window going to break? <laughs> At least I didn't hear that, like that uh, weird sound from the <laughs> aluminum or whatever, the aluminum. Is... <laughs> yes, it's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> I could hear your dog this time. Yeah, this time it was her. <laughs> okay, hold on.